0: all righty hello uh hello 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 um i would like to introduce to uh in Defense in liberation listeners uh our guest today um rick from decolonized buffalo rick would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself my friend
1: Yes, I'm a, my name is Rick. I'm a Comanche. I'm a uh, Comanche tribal member, and I am one of the hosts here at Decolonize Buffalo, and I have a master's degree in indige- Indigenous Peoples Law. And my focus is to, I guess, talk about decolonizations and the different theories within decolonization, you know, and how it plays out within liberation and communism, socialism.
0: Yeah that that's awesome. I um I'm definitely here as as a learner today. Um as a as a white man, um I uh, definitely do not have any expertise on the subject, but I I, I really do like um want to learn. So I I'm, I'm glad to have you here my friend. Um so why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, give me just a little bit of an intro? Because I, I I want folks to know about your show. Um, how is it that uh, decolonized Buffalo came to be?
1: Oh. Well, yeah, that's the thing. There's so many. There's so many different like reasons why. Like one of the reasons why is um, I was having like a lot of these like conversations about you know decolonization. Everybody has their own like. Vision, what it looks like. We can talk about that later. So I was like, you know, we can just re- record these conversations and put them out there, you know, for educational purposes, you know. And the next reason is because, um, you know, I was, as a Native person, I get real tired of repeating myself, right? And a lot of people don't understand like decolonization or like, you know, decolonization via the Native lens. So I just decided to just record, record, put him on the YouTube channel, and tell people like, you know, like, hey, if you really want to know, listen to this. So I don't have to repeat myself. And if you have questions afterwards, you know, like, then ask me, you know. And then sometimes I'll gather those questions and I'll make another, another episode. So it all depends on, um you know, like, on that, you know, that scenario. But the. The next one is to build bridges within communities because just like I said, you know, on on the number two is that uh, there's, you know, non-Native people don't understand Native politics and sometimes even Native people don't understand, like, Native politics or even, like, politics of other non-Native groups, like, let's say, the Black uh, community, so, or, you know, vice versa. So, you know, I was working with Black Lives Matter here and in San Antonio, and I guess there was... No knowledge of what tribal sovereignty was, so I was like, you know, uh, early, early in the podcast, we had, uh, we still have uh, uh, a co-host, Lou V She's a black woman, and you know, we it's to bridge our different communities because we all have the same struggle against colonization, against capitalism, you know, and we have to get towards certain de- destination. But if we all go into different, you know, directions, it's gonna you know, be a lot harder to get towards decolonization, you know.
0: Right. And especially in in a country that is a settler colonial state, it's hard to expect that that, that, you know, nation is then going to turn around and teach its citizens exactly what decolonization looks like, exactly why decolonization needs to happen. So as, you know, as disastrous as it is that so many folks don't have an understanding of what that means or what that could look like, um, it's not. You know, it's not really a question as to why that is. It's because this this nation is built on colonization, so of course it's not going to give you the the tools to take it down. Um, but I, I just want to ask because I think that you know there's a lot of podcasts out there, um, and especially you know popping up now during the pandemic. Um, I, I spend a good amount of time listening to podcasts, so I find a new one almost every single day. And I think that it's funny that we're all kind of we all kind of do the same thing. Like we had the same questions. We were frustrated about things. We were sick of, you know, having the same conversations over and over again. And we were seeking to not only educate people, but also to educate ourselves, because like like you said, you know, you post those episodes and then people ask new questions. And so you got to reeducate. You have a new level to that. And so that that back and forth is what i've found um podcasting to be really useful for uh and you said you do youtube as well
1: yeah my stuff is on youtube well i started off of youtube and then i moved to um different i think there's like eight different channels i'm i do not even sure i use the anchor app it's free yeah me too <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to promote them but they're free and they put it in different you know um, platforms yeah
0: that's how I do it, too, usually. But I, I've had a lot of I've done two interviews now um, where both times they've requested Skype. So I, I just kind of like now go to that. So we'll know next time we don't have to use Skype. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I just wanted to ask that because it, it's interesting to get everybody's story. And and so, you know, you 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 bring up a, a very big topic, decolonization, which, like you said, we're going to we're going to get into that later but before um, we talk about that we wanted to, to ask each other you know <clears throat> to just dial it back um, we wanted to ask each other what what exactly is socialism uh, or communism uh to each of us, and I would love to hear your answer first, because like I said, I'm I'm here to learn, so to to get a a, a different perspective is is always good. So I'd love to hear what what is socialism or communism to you, my friend?
1: That's a good question. (laughs) Before I start, I do want to say I'm not the strongest communist. Right. And it's okay right. so to say that, like, I I have com- comrades that are Native, non-Native that, you know, I still I'm, I'm still learning from. Like, I don't try to perceive myself as like this know-it-all, but, you know, I am very anti-capitalist, you know, um, and I think the reason why I'm not the strongest, and I'll, I'll say this right now, is because uh, I used to be part of some uh, Non native organizations uh, that are leftist. I, d- I don't want to say their names because I'm not here to like trash on leftist organizations, but I-, I did encounter some racism and people didn't understand native politics. So I thought, hey, man, <laughs> this is problematic because, you know, uh, you know we, have, we have these like leftist organizations that don't understand uh, indigenous issues that are not native and they can possibly you know, like if, let's say a revolution happens, they can possibly become the new settler uh, colonizers, right? But for me, is you know, getting rid of um, capitalism, and replacing it with an ec- economic system that, you know, benefits the workers and, you know, also protects the environment and, you know, not doesn't exploit, the, the, yeah, it doesn't exploit the environment and, and workers, you know, and there's so many different types of socialism and communism. And to me, I'm not one to, like, call myself, like, a Maoist or call myself, like, a Leninist or whatever. Like, for me, like, I call myself an indigenous socialist. And, you know, and people, and, you know, I give credit to some indigenous people to understand this. So um, I had, you know, some comrades say, you know, I want to quote some of my comrades is that, you know, as native people, we're not here to revolve our indigenous issues around co- communism. We're we're here to we should be revolving communism around our indigenous issues. You know, so really, really it's really simple. Like you know, like getting 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 rid of the elite classes and you know, um, helping the workers, helping the environment, and you know, that that's it's, it's an economic tool. It's not like a a final destination. It's not like it's not like uh, a, a go to all because I've asked people like what does decolonization look like and they'll say communism I'll be like that's not <laughs> that's not that's not the final solution you know or the final like the final destination to like decolonization it's my own opinion but yeah what's your opinion
0: so just before I answer the question itself I want to say to your point um I think that that would be properly a good example of that would be like you know Mao's Cultural Revolution, you know, because you have socialism that is uh, installed in China. But then still, there's these issues that aren't being dealt with, you know, just simply installing socialism is not enough to deal with all the problems, you know, that's just the base we have to deal with also, what is known as the superstructure. So like the symptoms that came from capitalist uh, society, so like settler colonialism, Um, It is one thing that I'm sure you, as a native person, you can see in everything, you know, in the family structure, in in our working day, in how our economy is structured, our our, uh, agricultural and environmental practices, or or really lack of uh, environmental practices. Um, All of that is, you know, symptomatic of capitalism, a system that says uh, profits are more important than people profits are more important than the planet that those profits are being made off of. Um, and so my answer for what socialism or communism uh, would look like or what is socialism or communism is uh, almost precisely what you said. You know, it's it's a uh, destruction and a replacement of capitalism with socialism and a progression towards a more equitable and a more um, equally adjusted uh, society, because something that I think liberalism gets really wrong is trying to say, okay, we put a law into place, so now people are equal, right? Equality is not the same as, as uh, uh, equitable, equitability, whatever. Um, equal is not the same as equitable. What I'm meaning to say is that, you know, if we just say, okay, we're socialist now, that doesn't really change anything except for our economic structure. We have to go further. Um, so socialism and communism, to me, would be the the base of a society that is working towards uh, fixing the issues that capitalism and colonialism and imperialism have created.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think I think that's what's wrong with some, um, oh, a big chunk of like. Uh, The socialists in in the US, they can't see past just like uh, the theory. And when it comes to like cultural stuff, or just, you know, like, issues from different communities, they're just like, what they're just like, uh, they're ignorant about it, you know, but I agree with you. Yes.
0: And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, like, like we said, we live in a settler colonial society. So there's no reason why that society is then going to teach these people like, oh, you know, there, there's more than just your issues. Because like you say, you know, we could have communism. And if if we instill communism or whatever and indigenous folks are still not given sovereignty and indigenous folks are not given, you know, the reparations and, and the the equality that they've deserved and needed for centuries now, then that's not really any better than what we have now. Um, we're just choosing that we're going to f- fix one problem. The goal is to to solve the problems, you know. I agree. So the next question that uh, we wanted to do is, um, what does indigenous or tribal sovereignty mean to you?
1: You should go first.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. So I, um, as, as I said at the top of the show, I'm definitely not the expert on this, but a- after trying to educate myself as best as I can, uh, indigenous sovereignty to me would be almost the same as what we picture communism to be right but the difference is that this is in a context where we exist in a settler colonial society which came in took over lands not only here in north america but all over the globe um in the global south in asia um massacred indigenous folks um relocated assimilated terminated Um, genocided folks. Uh, They destroyed their land. They destroyed their culture throughout years of oppression and exploitation and domination. And so indigenous sovereignty, to me, would be a reversing of all of that. It would be a a, uh, replacement of this colonial society, this oppressive society, with a Uh, sovereign society where indigenous folks are given the uh, proper returns on what they have lost throughout the years. And they are given the power to uh, demand their own political uh, sphere, their own politics, to demand their own social and economic structures, and most importantly, to demand their land back. Um, Because I think that that's something that we really need to talk about here, when we talk about indigenous sovereignty, because what we call America, what we call the United States, you know, um, some folks don't recognize that's only a name. Um, This land has no name such as the United States, as you you know. Um, This land is indigenous land and has been for thousands of years. And so indigenous sovereignty is giving this land back to the people who have cultivated it, who have kept it alive, and who have been kept alive because of it for thousands of years, far before any settler or any colonialism came and said any different.
1: Yeah, you covered a lot a lot of ground, I think. Yeah. I think the one thing people should realize when it comes to tribal sovereignty is that there's over five hundred and seventy tribes in the US or sovereign tribes. That means they have their own government. They have their own laws some some of them have their own uh, uh, court systems right some of them have and well, many of them have their own economies right and um, so you know it, so let, let you know let's just put like you know let's make just give an example of like so everybody within you know this tribe or you know you know let's say the Comanches, right and like they pass laws that affect themselves. Nobody else from any other tribe has the right to come in and tell them, "Hey, you should do this. Like you should do blood hunting this way." I don't agree with blood hunting, right? But that's what sovereignty is. It's the tribe itself decides um, what, how to deal with stuff. And not everybody, not everybody's gonna agree, right? And it sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it doesn't, you know. And um, but, you know, everywhere you go in the U.S., it, it, you know, there, there's a tribe there. there. There is a tribe. And there are laws that protect. Uh, a lot of non-Natives don't realize there's a lot of laws that that protect um, indigenous peoples. Like, let's say, you know, um, the Indian Arts and Crafts Act. Like, people can't sell art that, that says it's made by Native people unless it's actually made by a Native person. It's against law, right? Or they can own eagle feathers. Only Native people can do that. Can own eagle feathers, you know. And then there's some other religious stuff, you know. So it's you know it's a lot of different aspects of this. And then you know uh, there's court cases, you know, where states and tribes have you know gone after each other. It's usually the states. States have a really bad reputation, history uh, for going against tribal sovereignty you know, and, um, and, you know, it stays, and tribes fight back, you know, the tribes fight back and they win sometimes, sometimes they lose, you know, but I think people have to realize like everywhere you go, there is, and it's really complicated, you know, even going to law school, like a lot of this stuff is complicated, like jurisdictions, like if you commit a crime on the on the reservation, who has jurisdiction, right? Or, you know, and, and it's, and it's very, you know, People have to realize that you know it's kind of like you know when you go to France, like an American goes to France, right? And um, they commit a crime there. Who, who they who do who do they fall under? American law or French? French, right? Right. So like, but if you go on the reservation, you commit a crime, unless it's a serious crime, the, the tribe can't prosecute non-native people, right? Uh, unless, it's, like I said, it's, unless it's a serious crime, and and it, it sucks because we have. You know the sovereignty to make laws within ourselves. When somebody comes in and they and they you know commit crimes against our people, against you know the you know the, 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 you know, the um, tribal members. Sometimes the tribes can't you know prosecute, and that's an issue that we should uh, non natives should really you know be pushing for tribes to have more jurisdiction. And this would also help for like against corporations. So corporations come in and they disrespect or, they, you know, they they endanger the environment. The tribes should be able to sue the corporations, and sometimes corporations hide behind the state or the federal government. You know, I think uh, in order for, for... when Whenever we talk about decolonization or, you know, replacing... Can you talk about replacing, you know, uh, the system, the settler colonial system? We have to imagine what it looks like after. And I always tell people, even not natives and non-natives, what does it look, look like for you, you know, when you... um. What does decolonization look like to you? And some people have told me like I'm thinking too far. Or also say communism. And I, I, you know that's not that's not a fucking answer, right? It, communism is a tool, but it's not like like you know it's not it's not like the whole it's not the, the answer for everything, right? And um, so when it comes to like tribal sovereignty, you know like we have to imagine a system where over 570 tribes. Like the roles play within the the let say the in the indigenous system afterwards in decolonization what does that look like right because after decolonization these tribes still are going to be sovereign they should still be sovereign tribes that decolonization and communism does not take that away right right you want to make me sure one hundred percent sure people realize that and people have to realize on top of that that there's more tribes in Canada, and there's even more tribes in Mexico, which they have their own history of against settler colonization, and those histories are not the same as the ones that the U.S. You know, the the, the tribes in Can- Canada have, you know, uh, the struggles against the crown, and the tribes in Mexico <laughs> have almost no sovereignty. You know, it's almost like non-existent. And because Mexico was another, Mexico is a settler colonial state. So people have to realize that we have three major, like here in North America, and we have Central America too, but, you know, the big three countries in North America are three different struggles against colonization, you know, but they still have struggles against capitalism, you know, and environments and, you know, uh, against indigenous peoples. So, you know, it's very similar, but it's very different at the same time. So we have to imagine a system where, All these communities, you know, have a say so, and their sovereignty is not going to be stripped after, you know, the revolution or decolonization, you know, or after socialism, because there's there's some socialists that don't understand uh, tribal sovereignty, and I've been I've been told that indigenous sovereignty sounds like Hitlerisms, and I was like, what? This is my socialist, right? And it's really hard to hear when people don't understand you know they want to talk about revolution and about liberation but they don't under, they don't understand like tribal sovereignty and this is the basics of indigenous issues it's tribal sovereignty right very basics and it's hard because some native people native people don't understand uh themselves ourselves you know what i'm saying so i think uh we really have to have these conversations out, you know like non natives come and learn and uh and native people, even we native people come and learn. And I have a series, a three-part series on the history of Federal Indian Law on Decomics Buffalo. I suggest people go check it out. I th- let me see real quick. Uh I think it's let me check real quick. It's episode 50, 51, and 52. They should go check it out, you know, because it's it's and this is the beginning of Federal Indian Law. It's not the whole thing. There's there's like a lot of court cases and different eras within federal Indian laws and like, you know, the reservations, the allotments, you know, the, um, you know, the, um, enrollments and all this stuff that happened, you know, that I think that just super complex. So I hope people, if you, re- if non-Native people want to learn about these issues, it's gonna take time. And it's not, it's not one of those things you learn like, you know, right away or like or one book, you know, it, it it can take some learning. So,
0: it 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 not only takes learning; it takes years and years of unlearning, especially for folks like me who you know who are white who grow up. I grew up right outside of uh, the Oneida Reservation in New York. I don't know shit about the Oneida. I don't know the shit about the Iroquois like I and it's disgusting to me because I am someone who my whole life I wanted to be a history teacher um, my whole life like I've, I've been interested in in history generally and yet how little information I've learned on my own time and also been taught in the many history classes that I've taken about indigenous you know folks not only because I think a lot of times um, and I heard this on an episode of the Red Nation I think where they talked about like We often think about indigenous folks in in like this picture of like death and dying. You know, we want to we want to uh, recover the culture and everything. There's there's native folks alive now. There's many native folks alive right now who are are fighting for exactly what you're talking about. Um, uh, Understanding these things, not just by, like you said, reading a book and saying, OK, I get it. But really, learning the complexities of not only the history of, you know, Indian law in these in these settler colonial states, but also the history of I- Indigenous people themselves, and the history of struggle and resistance of Indigenous people during the time of settler colonialism. Because, like you said, um, you said 570 tribes in America.
1: Yeah, over 500, and those are, those are. The ones are like federally recognized. I think it's I'm not sure. So I think you know, and there's unrecognized tribes that you know, so there's a lot more. And there's tribes that just were, you know, wiped out. It sucks. You know, but when I want to go back, you you just you said you grew up with the Oneidas around the Oneida reservations. The oneida people, they have like a really good like law system and like a court system. And they have a history of of, of the, the struggle of jurisdiction jurisdiction as well. Like they had a time where like um a uh, um, tribal police were arresting like local police for for coming on the reservation, and vice versa. Right? It's really interesting. People should really look into that, uh, that history. But that's the thing. We like uh, people don't, you know, like non-native cops were arresting like native cops. It was like fucking wild, right? And uh, I, I, you know, but going back to like you were saying that people were claiming or say suggesting they're you know, claiming their heritage when they're, you know, they're not natives. They're just, in my opinion, they're just claiming like they're white supremacist or, you know, their settler, uh, heritage, because like, you know, the, a lot of these Americans is, or, you know, uh, what are you proud about about being American? Like it's, it's the whole Americanism is this one settler colonial project, which is meant to wipe out, uh, to wipe out people's, you know, like their backgrounds. Like it's not just native people, but black people, Asian people, you know, people from anywhere in the world, you know, Mexico, and to assimilate them into the American project, into the colonial project. Right. And so they can be like, oh, see, we're all one people, but we're not one people in the U.S. Because it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an illusion, right? It's a colonial illusion, it's a colonial project. And uh, this whole, like, Donald Trump making America great or reclaiming your heritage, a lot of these heritage people that say that stuff, like, they are mostly white people that are just racist as fuck, right? I did want to find a reason why to go back to a time where there were, like, you know, uh, the dominant uh, white supremacist, you know, class, so...
0: I think that that's just about the same as like when we talk about and i wanted to bring it up earlier when we were talking about sovereignty um so i just i'll just say this that sovereignty in law right which exists now and true sovereignty are two very different things and that's why you know indigenous folks still resist still struggle against uh colonial uh settlerism because it, it still reigns supreme um and to your heritage thing of wanting to claim a time when they were the, the dominant group. Um, white supremacy still is the dominant force in these settler colonial states. The difference is these folks want to be able to do it explicitly. They don't want to have to write laws and pretend like they're not uh, terminating uh, indigenous people still. They they don't want to have to write laws and put migrant children in in facilities. They they want to do precisely what they did the whole time that the American project was being created, massacre people. They were allowed at one time to just kill people. And the fact that now they have to do it in a way that is you know secretive or with a smile on their face pisses them off because they want to just be able to pull out their gun and and shoot indigenous folks like they, they could and that's disgusting because this is the group of people who are in power today, you know, and even if they do or don't explicitly feel that way that is what drives their politics that's why even socialists have no understanding of indigenous sovereignty have no understanding of what decolonization means because still that white supremacy reigns supreme in their mind
1: yeah that's that's the thing you know and i i do want to say that you know if somebody wants to be proud to be like irish or like you know german or whatever it's fine like you know but if you're here in the u.s like you should one, you know, understand the history of these these groups of people, Europeans and anybody else from any any other country that have come here and bought into the illusion of you know Americanism, the colonial project, and what it means to you know to uphold the system, you know. And um, like if somebody wants to be proud to be Germans, fine. I mean, we have German towns here in Texas and whatever. But the thing is, like, do you, do they respect tribal sovereignty do they respect the native people what are they doing to to build the relationship to the to native people what do they what it would what would it look like after decolonization you know like it's fine if you know we'll talk about decolonization but you know it, it's one of those things that acknowledgement has to happen you know Precisely. and that's, that's part of the, the the whole the whole um i do I do want to talk about a little bit about uh, land acknowledgments because that's a, a thing now it's been growing and uh, if you go back, like, I will say 15 years ago, 10 years ago, land acknowledgements weren't a thing, you know? I do, want, I, do, I do understand that it's important to have a land acknowledgement, but it, it has to go further than to say, hey, I'm on, you know, Comanche land and, you know, and that's it. I mean, like, if you acknowledge you're on somebody's land, you also have to acknowledge their history, and and then and then you have to acknowledge their sovereignty. And what are you doing as a person to strengthen their so- sovereignty and also like uh to help out the community? It's not just like yeah, I'm here. Can you imagine somebody comes to your house and is like yeah, I acknowledge this is your house. I'm gonna sit here, eat your food, and and sit sitting, you know sitting your couch and, and not give you shit after that. No, right? I mean <laughs> you if you go if you go to somebody's house. You know, you're going to respect their rules and their boundaries. You're not going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm here. Fuck it. You know? No. So, you know, we have to, you know, it's like you go- going to somebody's house, you know? And I hope people understand that if you, if you acknowledge, do land acknowledgement, you know, you are, you know, building these relationships with these communities too.
0: Yeah, because, again, like you say, this is why the difference between someone who calls themselves a, social, a socialist or a communist because they read a book or because they believe in, you know, socialism or communism as a goal, right? That's not enough because, like you say, like these are, you know, for example, I myself am a Marxist. But what Marxism does is it's a, a an analytical tool. It's It's a lens that allows me to see the world. And because I'm a Marxist, I understand that indigenous sovereignty is something that needs to be, you know, properly uh, acknowledged. And and, you know, like you say, you can't just acknowledge it. You actually have to do something about it, too. So all these, you know, I know there's like local governments who will put up a sign that says like, you know, official, I I don't know if, I won't say a specific tribe because I don't know of one specifically, but there's, you know, local city governments or people in general, local organizations who will spread that word and say, like, we're on indigenous land. But then right down the street, there's indigenous folks who they're not even communicating with, who they're not building relationships with. And so, like, these are, we have to take action. We have to take concrete steps. We can't just say things. It's the same as saying that indigenous folks are sovereign and writing a law about it. And then what actually happens? Because there's a long history of laws, legislation, and um, treaties that were signed with indigenous folks that we can say uh, did not hold up to what they said. So words and action are two very different things.
1: Yeah, that's something that, you know, um, because, you know, you're talking about just writing a law and saying something that was that's something that kind of concerns me. It concerned me during when I was in uh, non-native socialist organizations. I asked I used to ask, like, hey, so after after liberation, what's the role or like, you know, what? How do you envision indigenous people? And they'll say, oh, they would be autonomous. We're fucking already autonomous now. (laughs) Right. We have our sovereignty. So that doesn't change. You know, it that, that doesn't give me anything good to, you know, to to work with. Like, okay, we're we're autonomous, so like, and you know, and that's the thing, like I I, I really believe talking to, you know, non native socialists, they would be they will say some stuff like, uh, oh, they envision that after, you know, liberation or revolution or whatever, that's there will be a, a national socialist government that's like in charge of stuff, and tribes, you know, are just doing whatever. After that, no, that to me, it's fucking wrong. But we can talk about that when I talk about decolonization.
0: Well, well let's I'm, let's I'm... get into that then, my friend. Um, let the because the next question we want to talk about, the next question we want to ask is is the big one. So, what what does decolonization look like? Would you like me to kind of give my spiel as a non native of you know kind of yeah, what hey, it is that I yeah.
1: have? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on me now because we spent half the episode talking about, like, you know, non-native socialists and what they say. But for myself, I mean, if if we truly understand what communism and socialism is right, it is the flipping on the head of the way that society is run, because as it stands right now in capitalism in, in neoliberalism and settler colonialism. You have the rule of the few powerful over the many. And that just, you know, to anyone who looks at that should say that that doesn't make sense. That's not how it should be. So socialism and communism are flipping that on its head. It's giving the people, right, the power. But what does that mean? What does that mean in a country like the United States that is not only a settler colonial state, but also has immigrant folks, also has Black folks who were brought here during the Atlantic slave trade. You know, um, it has all kinds of different uh, religious groups, all different uh, a- a- autonomous groups. We'll call them because that's a great word. It, you know, separate, but but in many ways they're all there. So how do we how do we deal with that? How do we structure a, a, a society where everybody is given the, this equal say, and on top of that deal with decolonization. So first and foremost, you know, the United States is a settler colonial state. We have to eliminate whatever America is in our mind from our vision of the future because that can't be allowed to stay because otherwise we're just doing what the French Revolution's did in 1790. We're just flipping the script. We're just putting new people in charge. So everything that America stands for The settler colonial domination in Washington, the the oppression of white supremacy, that has to be eliminated. We have to strip power from these people who have held power for so long and have used that power to gain more power and to gain wealth. And we need to give that power to indigenous people, to indigenous tribes. And we have to allow them in, you know, whatever way that that might look to disseminate and, and, you know, figure out how they are going to now structure what land we live on. Because ultimately, this land is indigenous land. So if anybody else thinks that when there's a revolution, that some white guy is going to be in charge of it, or even some white girl or whoever is going to be in charge of it, that, that can't be in our minds. Because, like I said, this is indigenous land. Um, from there, I can't really give a fantastic outline or illustration because what indigenous uh, sovereignty looks like, what indigenous government looks like, has never been something that I've been able to witness. And unfortunately, it's never been something that a lot of folks who are alive today in the United States have been able to witness. And as a materialist, you know, I don't go far enough to just dis- describe anything that I can't you know have a mental picture for but i can i can at least say that everything that exists to oppress and take power away from indigenous tribes is has to be eliminated and in its place that power and that sovereignty has to be given directly to indigenous people
1: i agree so um i always give this analogy so you know when i go somewhere I use my GPS because I could fucking get lost all the time, right? So, you know. So I you know, I've been asking this question of like what does decolonization mean to you? Because a lot of people say trendy shit, like decolonize your mind. And, you know, and it's just like and it's really like I roll and you know, I start rolling my eyes. I'm like, oh my God. So I ask, okay, you're gonna say decolonize your mind, what does it look like? And people don't have an answer. What it likes, what it looks like to be, you know, what it looks like what they envision decolonization looks like you know and we have to envision what it looks like politically right and you know so it's just like the gps like if we don't know what it looks like how can we get there right so um many you know when it comes to decolonization people have different points of views um my view is is mine and there's some people wish with uh, similar views that have um expressed <clears throat> very similar to mine, but, you know, kind of different. So the first thing is, you know, what does total sovereignty over the land look like as indigenous people? That means native people making laws for the land, right? Making laws that even non-native people have to follow. What does that look like? You know, and, you know, um, I think part of it is is my vision is creating like a Senate with like one representative from each tribe. So it's like a really big Senate with, you know, 500 plus, so 570 plus people on the the Senate, you know, they they write laws, you know? And before I go any further, the first thing people, you know, non-Native people tell me, you know, or tell me is like, hey, you know, this puts Native people on top, you know? But, you know, it doesn't, it's not really putting Native people on top because we're not here to oppress. You know, so if you, if, you know, if you're non-native and you think this is an oppressive system, then you just, it's self-reflection, right? It's self, self-reflection self for yourself. Right. It's not, we're not here to try to tell people or trying to slave anybody. We've never, you know, you know, any radical leftist indigenous person has never talked about this. So that's just coming out of your own mouth. So that excuse, you know, can just go you can go, go out the door with that. But um the next you know but you know that's the thing like so, so what does it look like with the senate but here we have to really realize that even this system is, is it's kind of flawed because we have to incorporate the black community right because they're not going anywhere they're, we're not going to be like oh, okay you can go back to africa no fuck that they're here they were forced here you know so they should have a represent- A representation of the system too are they going to be have members in 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 that that senate are they going to have their own senate i don't know you know so people have to imagine that i don't know what i don't know you know like i don't have all the answers you know but this is just like it's kind of like uh you know like when you when somebody throws a cigarette out the window of their car and then in, in it hits the brush and the brush you know uh catches it turns to like a wildfire this is this is what it is i'm just giving a little spark and somebody out there is going to write a really good book you know with different communities and and you know and 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 incorporate these ideas of what does it look like even even the chinese community like some of the chinese people were forced here you know like 1800s 1700s and and they're forced to work on railroads so you know they also is some of them can't go back you know, same thing with, with people from Mexico, Central America, and from all, all around the world. There's refugees. Are we going to tell them to go back? I mean, some of, some of their homes are, like, you know, still under, you know, bad conditions. We're not going to force them to go back, you know? And even, like, even, like, sellers themselves. Well, what's this look like for them? You know, that's somebody from, like, Great Britain, Germany, you know, any anywhere else, you know, that's um, – that migrated here to be part of the settler system. Are we going to tell them to go back? Some native people say, "Yeah, well, they should go back. They should be forced to go back." But you know, that's that's not that's not what the Constitution is for us. For us, is like you know, a system where native people have sovereignty for their own tribe, sovereignty over the land, and everybody else, non-native, follows. You know, but they, I think, there should be another Senate or Congress or something that you know that maybe non-natives have representation So they should not not go for uh, not have representation right but it should also be socialist right so it, right. you know it, it, all this is just like a, a you know like a very rough draft blueprint of like what decolonization looks like but the number one thing people need to realize in my opinion is native sovereign tribal sovereignty that is a tool You know, and a lot of these systems, when people say, I think there was an episode, um, let me see, uh, an episode, let me me check real quick. Give me a second. Um, I think I did an episode on indigenous socialism. Um, Oh, yeah, it's episode 42. And, you know, people say, you know, what does the system look like? But, you know, the system's already here. It's, it's kind of already here when you know uh, tribal sovereignty, tribal governments are here already. So there's already a system in place in case the 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 seller um, government falls. And it's you know we're not we're not you know I'm not here con- controlling, condoning violence. I'm not saying you know you know like you know fight because you know like you know I don't want to get taken down from YouTube or <laughs> any <laughs> other platform. But. But you know, you just you know, just imagine like you know, economically the government falls and you're just kind of like, you know, uh, the Soviet Union or you know, I don't know, anything could happen. I don't know, right? And we're stuck with nothing. But we there is not nothing. There's troubled governments here, you know, and they have more the, the ability to fill in shoes to you know, uh, for post you know, civil colonial. Uh, Government, we do. So I think people have to realize that. So that that means that Native people, non Native people, I mean, non Native people should be supporting and fighting for laws that that make indigenous sovereign, tribal sovereignty stronger, you know, right now. So, you know, we have like um, fights all the time. Like Stanley Rock was one of them. Like a tribe was like, we don't want this pipeline. And, you know, and a corporation was like, what are you going to do about it? And there's lawsuits, you know? So it's like, but and there's a, lot, a ton of lawsuits, and so we win some of them and we lose some of them, you know. But I think we're we are slowly pushing for um, for you know making our sovereignty stronger. So I think people have to realize that in order for decolonization to happen, we ha- you know you have to promote tribal sovereignty. You have to. It's like, it's it's the biggest tool for decolonization.
0: Yeah. And I think that if you understand, so here, let me, let me hop on a little, little white guy soapbox. Let me, let me, what's it called? Mansplain.
1: Yeah. Let me, go ahead.
0: let me, let me mansplain to any, any listeners who might be, um, you know, cause I think that this is also a hard concept for people to understand, such as myself who don't, um, have a mental picture for it so i think that you're right we do have to paint that mental picture we have to get people to see what it is that we have to create because if we just go in with a vague i don't know well guess what we'll end up doing the same shit that we did now um so essentially first and foremost like you said Those governments already exist. Those tribal governments already exist. And there's a long history as well of different forms of tribal government, of different tribal governments that have, uh, you know, been in existence throughout uh, settler colonial rule um, and and have, you know, made it through and still exist today. Um, And I think that if we sit here and say, well, I don't know what that can look like, that's because we're choosing not to learn. Um, There is a history there. There, there is conversations that can be had, and there's governments that exist right now that we can learn from. So I think first and foremost we ought to remember that it's not like we don't have those answers. We're, we're just not looking for them. We have to look for them. Um, And I think that if, if you want to talk about like, you know, this is a complicated system, right? But it's not any more complicated than the fact that the laws are different in New York than they are in Pennsylvania. The only difference is the form that it's taking. So if we're refusing to be able to envision something like this, we're ignoring the reality that we live in today. Because like you said, as an American, when I go to France, when I break a law, I'm going to be held accountable to French law. So if we can't understand what it would be like to be held accountable to uh, tribal law while we're on tribal land, then we're just pretending like the reality that we live in doesn't exist because that's clearly something that already exists and then when you want to talk about how do you structure something like this I think the best way that we can understand um, it's, I, I it's a funny example but it's one that I just thought of a good way to understand socialism might be like have you ever been to a party where like you know someone's in charge of bringing the chairs and someone's in charge of making the food and someone's in charge of getting the the place and somebody's in charge of driving everyone there that's precisely what what that government looks like. Because like you say, never has it been the goal of an, any indigenous person, any indigenous government to oppress anyone. They are the oppressed. So putting them in power is just removing that oppression. And that's not meaning then that they are going to turn around and oppress people. That's a conscious decision that Uh, colonizers and settlers made that's not some natural phenomenon that people fall to the only reason why that's natural or we perceive it as natural is because that's the dominating political and social uh, structure but not because it's some natural one if you want to call it natural why did it just start existing only five hundred six hundred years ago You know, tribal and and indigenous people have lived for thousands of years far before settler colonialism existed. So how natural can it be? Um, So, I mean,
1: yeah, I think I think, you know, people, uh, socialists, non-native socialists, you know, they want to envision something that's easy. And decolonization is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And it's going to take work. So don't be the person that brings paper plates to the fucking party. That's fucking easy. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Don't do it it's going to be do do a lot more than just paper paste guy you know so uh, i think um you know i think that's the thing you know it's it's and so you go back a little bit so you know some uh, some non-native socialists have told me like oh that should look scary why why does that look why does it look scary to you right but um there is already i think Somebody told me this, they re- described it really well. There's pockets of socialism already, already in the U.S., right? So let's let's picture, let's talk about native economies, right? Some um, native economies, um, let's, say, let's say tribal casinos. Tribal casinos are actually uh, um, owned by the whole the tribe as a whole. They're never owned by one tribal member, right? So you know, and then that's just some some of the. Um, you know, Indian gaming some some of the revenue that goes into the, you know the, the tribal economy. There's also like the Hard Rock Cafe is actually native owned, right? Some Native people have like ports. Some some people have golf courses, in which I, I don't agree with, right? But this is me. Some have water parks. Some have smoke shops, right? You know, some people don't agree with gaming, but this is you know everybody has their own opinion. But the point is, like um, these these um, business avenues, they they support programs within the tribe so there's like i care there's like um you know i i actually applied for higher assistance f- for my tribe you know so they paid for partial partial partially of my my education you know going to undergrad and going to law school you know there's like daycare. there's like you know build you know a tornado shelter there's not so many programs within the tribe that you know um I think it's over hundred for the community, I'm not even sure, you know? So, you know, different programs are funded by our economy, right? And then when we t- people ha- talk about per cap, you know, some of, the, some of these uh, gaming tribes, you know, small percentage of the gaming gets, gets distributed to every member of the tribe equally. Not one person gets more than the other, no. Everybody gets equal share. Right, so this is already like like a, a socialist structure within the U.S. Like native native economies, you know, are to a point, are like a socialist structure, right? They exist, whether you agree or not, uh, of the type of businesses that happen, they're there, right? Some some tribes have a, a cannabis business, and their tribes are you know doing good, you know, they they give you know a lot of uh, programs to their people, and I and I agree with that, you know, and that's the thing like. Um, you know we i think we also need to support indigenous led uh, economies but also like black in the black community their economies too so how can we as native people support other economies other economies support us instead of relying on this like us economy and us capitalism you know what I'm saying of exploitation so that's a whole different conversation you know so people that that sound or not natives that that think that this is scary. This is already happening now. Like there's nothing scary about. It. You know, it's the thing is, it's a power structure that exists above us. You know, and you know, decolonization is not putting native people above everybody else. It's not. It's 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 creating a system where our sovereignty is respected, and you know, we can, you know, and, and we can talk about other communities too, and how we can, you know, they can play a role in this, in this government, in this decolonial government. So.
0: I think so I just I just had a moment cuz um uh there's a metaphor in and, and you might this might be one that you've heard before there's a metaphor that's used in our history is the future where it's it's saying that you know a oppre- so oppression is like somebody stepping on your throat Um, Or I guess a a better example could be because to be more precise with what's in the book, it's somebody stepping on your foot. Right. And then if, if we're talking about decolonization, what decolonization would be is them not stepping on your throat or them not stepping on your foot. But more than that, it can't just be them taking their foot off of you. It has to be, you know, I guess in this metaphor, whatever them, you know, taking you to the hospital and paying for your your bill, whatever that means in the real world to take it out of a metaphor. That's what it has to be, because when you when you envision, you know, this this tribal government that has, you know, these 500 plus representatives and then people say, well, that that seems like, um, you know, native folks, that seems like them just being above everyone. That's scary. Well, that's because the only world that these people have ever lived in is an oppressive one. Even if you're, you know, I'm a, I'm a white person, as I've said multiple times now, I still recognize that the world that I live in, and I benefit from it because of the color of my skin. The world that I live in is one where there is a distinct group of people who are number one, and because of that, in society, they are able to oppress everyone else. Whether that is a direct or explicit action that they take doesn't matter. You know what I mean? When I get pulled over for weed in my glove compartment or something like that, I won't worry, am I going to be shot and, you know, killed? but there are people who have to worry about. That's the difference in society we have to acknowledge. And if we refuse to acknowledge it, then we can't call ourselves socialists or communists because that's not what socialism or communism is. Socialism or communism is acknowledging the inequality in society and creating a society that eliminates that inequality. So if we want to talk about, okay, you're scared of what this system might look like, well, that means you're scared of not only yourself, but you're scared of people who have been you know put in oppressive situations and been exploited and you're scared of them because your whole life you've been told to be scared of them there's nothing to be scared of from socialism there's nothing to be scared of from decolonization the only scary thing is that it's going to be different but how can we sit here and say that that difference is going to be scary when we are refusing to even take the steps to find out if it is going to be scary because guess what if we took the steps to decolonize America, we would find out one way or another that it isn't scary and that it isn't anything to be afraid of. But we are using that as an excuse to not have to take concrete steps. The only thing that we can do as people who are advocating for these things is take concrete steps.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you got to take steps. And that's the thing. It's It's hard sometimes because, you know, there's there's even like you have to be careful, even within um, people that, you know, the the settler colonial project uh, takes people and tokenizes them like Candace Owens, Ben Shapiro, which are minorities, you know, and they're like, look, they they think they they think the same as me. And they will always do that. There was native people that are Republicans and be like, look, but they they don't agree with this. They don't agree with socialism. Fuck those people exactly Straight who up. the fuck cares <laughs> yeah so <laughs> i'll say fuck them you know and that's you know and oh they have people that put misinformation so i will i will give some um i will plug in some of my episodes if you don't mind so people of course, can hear go for it. i think um episode 34 with Nick Estes is the indigenous socialism um and we have that's part 1 and let me see part 2 of indigenous socialism with Yamo is episode 42 um, let me see. Uh, and we got uh, episode fifty-seven: Indigenous Sovereignty, Decolonization, and Diet Decolonization. That was a good episode. Um, and, and I also have like you know some some people. I have two episodes: episode sixty-three. It's from my personal friend that lived under. Uh, the communist bloc in Bulgaria and moved to the U S and it's two, two different worlds. You know, she was like, it's not the same thing. And it's not scary. You know, same thing with episode 67 with Carl, like he lived in communism and he, you know, he doesn't think it's, it was scary, you know, and, you know, and this, it, we have to talk about that. And of course, episode 50, 51, 52, with federal Indian law, you know, and that's just the, the very basics of federal Indian law. Don't, don't think that's everything. So you have to actually dig, uh dig, deeper than than that but i think um yeah it's 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 a lot it's a lot of work and even me i have to you know um i have to um I, I'm, I'm even me i have to learn you know i, I you know I, I appreciate even the work of the red nation the, people should look up the red nation on twitter on on the, on the website and they have a good podcast and they have good you know and they're coming out with a book the red deal which is, it's it's really, it's, and I read some of it, it's really fucking good. It's coming out in April and I think people should read it. And that's, these, these are the things that, you know, there are indigenous, you know, anarchists, indigenous communists out there and we're doing work, a ton of work. And I think, you know, and there's other people, other indigenous people that are doing good work, like, you know, Kim Tauber or Jacqueline Keeler, you know, and, and you know, and, you know, and diff- different podcasts, you know, indigenous podcasts, you know, I don't want to, there's so many there's so many, but there's
0: so there's a lot.
1: yeah, it's good work out there. and i I don't want people to think like I'm the only podcast I'm not, you know, and I think even I think other people's podcasts sometimes are better than mine. And right? I think my podcast talks about these these theories, decolonial theories and and the problems of of some of these the threats of some of these um uh, things that uh, to our sovereignty, you know. So, you know, I think, yeah listen to my podcast but you will see guests from other people's podcasts you know other people's you know other points of views and i think you know i I think you know people should non natives should um learn and we should you know have solidarity with each other
0: yeah i think that the best thing that we because we were talking about it earlier you know you ask folks who call themselves socialists or communists you know what does decolonization look like to you and they don't have an answer for you that that's a choice that they're making and i know that for example there's a lot of folks who during this pandemic have had a hard time you know being able to focus on you know maybe reading theory or listening to podcasts or whatever because they've been dealing with you know awful family situations or whatever you know there there's the the conversation about you know not everybody has the ability to learn these things but learning doesn't always look like opening up a book or going to class like Learning can be a conversation learning can be an experience that you have or an observation or it can be a book or a YouTube video or a podcast. I think that when we take the route where we say not everybody can learn these things, I think we're forgetting how uh, available a lot of these things are. And that's that's not to say that there aren't people who have, you know, uh, things that make it so they can't learn these things. But so have conversations with folks, you know, that this is what our objective is. What you asked earlier, what is socialism? It's everybody coming together and trying to build something better for one another. You know, and I think that that's all we can expect it to be without having taken the attempt to create it here in the United States. I think that all we can expect to do is, you know, there's always that work together, come together that is, is spewed with liberal bullshit. But there, there's truth to that statement. The only way that we can fix the problems we're facing is together, because the, the members of the United States government aren't going to fix these problems. They're certainly not going to decolonize or create socialism. And so you know, we do have to show solidarity with one another, but more than just showing solidarity, more than just acknowledging these issues, we have to become understood in these issues. We have to become educated in these issues, which means we have to just talk to one another, reach out to one another. You know, you've already taught me so much just in this half an hour, hour that we've been talking. And so that that's all that that really needs to look like to some extent. You know, you you gave proper um, resources as well, if people want to learn more, like the information is out there. Um, And and there are people who are more than willing to give you that information. So I think that we need to really dedicate ourselves, especially during this time where many of us can't get out and see each other, to educating ourselves, to progressing ourselves. Because otherwise, I mean, like I said, we, we can try to change the world, we can try to recreate something. But like, It'll just be new people in the seat of power if we're not demanding something revolutionarily different. And that means expanding our perspectives and that means expanding our our, our illustration of what we think the world could or should look like. And understanding that just because it's different doesn't mean it's scary or bad.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, that's the thing. Like, uh, Listening to podcasts is the easiest thing because you can go for a walk and you put headphones on, you know, or like... You know, work out in your house, I don't know. And or, you know, do your shower, or do your drive and just plug it in. And uh, and it's listen and learn. And it's weird sometimes because I had I had somebody on my podcast, I'm not going to name names, and they they were like, hey, everybody, it's not that hard to listen to podcasts. And before they came on my show, they were like, I don't listen to podcasts. I'm like, what? The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you said you told people to listen to podcasts. You you don't do it yourself. I do it. You know, I actually do look up stuff like when when I don't understand something and I just, you know, plug it in and put it on YouTube. And there's YouTube videos for fucking everything. I learn how to work on my car via YouTube, you know, and uh, or how to fix, you know, a hole in the wall or something. I don't know. And you know, and that's the thing. Like, um, it's it's wild that people don't take their time just to listen, right? But I do. I do want to give advice to you know, um, non-natives that you know uh, get involved. Just just be careful. You don't speak over communities. You know, it's okay to ask questions. You know, and sometimes you you might feel like. You might feel like you know you. Like what? What's my role here? You know, but if you really give a shit about about you know, uh, socialism or decolonization, liberation. Like you should really start thinking about the community, like as as a group, rather than than yourself, right? And it, because you know the Americanism is, it thrives on on individualism, and people, you know, they sometimes they they join orgs and they don't, you know. They don't feel uh gratification sometimes even with me and I, I feel sometimes like i don't feel gratification but you know but i think you know at the same time like don't feel like you need to be like the head person of an org either to like to to be doing something you know don't don't you don't need control that's that's really weird in my point of view, you know, like if you if you're part of a socialist organization, it's going to be kind like a community. It's not going to be like one fucking individual. It's, there's going to be one one Fidel, one chair, you know, you know, and it's not going to be like that, you know, even they had like like a community. So even I they think they
0: had Celia San, uh, Sanchez and all of the other 88 that sailed across to to get to Cuba with them. They had. Uh, everybody who supported them and educated them their whole lives they had all their experiences they had the support of the people in in the mountains they had the support of the people in the cities like you're right this is a community this is this is what we need to change in our minds
1: i get challenged i challenge people and i think that's a part of it no and don't start fistfights or anything like that but (laughs) you but, (laughs) you know it's okay to be challenged dude like you know it's not it's not even that big of a deal like I actually like it when I get challenged because this is where my, the questions come in and people sometimes have challenged me pretty fucking hard. I'm like, oh, fuck, I have to rethink myself. When I talk about this 15 years ago about the whole decolonization, the Native Senate, people were like, like, you know, like, what about black people? And I was like, oh fuck, I fucked up, and I realized I fucked up, and somebody acknowledged, you know, like I acknowledge I fucked up, and I was like, then I, you know, I have to, you know, take acknowledgement of black people and other people, Chinese people, you know, mi- migrant people from south of the border, you know, and all this other stuff. Like I, I was like, I wasn't consider of that. I was just consider just native lands and then we have to be internationalist too like how can we help you know people of palestine how can we have solidarity with other socialist countries china vietnam you know venezuela bolivia you know and how can we be having solidarity with other other indigenous people from around the world because other native people from around the world also dealing with seller colonization it's not just us not the u.s you know seller colonization is not just a u.s thing it's it's a whole global thing so
0: So then the best question, and it's our last question to finish this right up, um, what does or how can solidarity look to, you know, to you in your mind? What what is solidarity? Would you like me to answer first or would you like to go? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. so solidarity to me is precisely what we've been talking about to this point. It's recognizing that we all struggle. Right. But we all struggle differently. You know, black folks struggle differently than uh, indigenous folks struggle and indigenous folks struggle different than uh, Chinese folks struggle in America. And all of these folks struggle differently than poor white folks struggle and poor white folks struggle differently than, you know, fill in the blank. And so we have to understand that solidarity is not um, a summation of problems. It's not a... uh, uh, equation of problems it's not uh equating you know black folks problems to indigenous folks problems and saying they are equal they are both existent and so we have to deal with both so what solidarity is to me is recognizing that all people struggle and we all struggle together and in order to combat that it's going to take the efforts of all of us combined actively and consistently working to eliminate the the, uh, inequality, to eliminate the uh, discrimination, to eliminate the oppression and exploitation of capitalism, of white supremacy, of all these different dominating structures and institutions. And that is a evolutionary and progressive battle, one that will start at a point and hopefully make its way to another. We can't expect tomorrow just because we decide we want to eliminate white supremacy that because we all get together and say, okay, white supremacy is over, that it doesn't exist in society, that that doesn't form how our structures and our institutions are ran. So we have to recognize that this is a constant battle. This is a battle that we have to fight arm in arm. And this is a battle that we have to fight in different, uh, I should say this is a war that we have to fight in different battles you know because we have to correct the the inequality and discrimination and uh disproportionate uh treatment that black folks get in this country but we also have to deal with tribal sovereignty and we have to deal with immigrants and 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 how they're being treated in this country and what does it even mean to be an immigrant you know why do we have borders you know there's so many conversations to be had here. But what solidarity really means to me is saying that you're willing to have those conversations. You're willing to come to an agreement. You're willing to come to a solution and you're willing to put that solution into practice.
1: I agree. You know, I, I agree. And I think, you know, we have to, um, we can't be, you know, individualized or like have our community separate because, That's how the settlers (laughs) are able to, you know, uh, like, you know, colonize us. I think we got to, like, have the solidarity in order to beat colonization and capitalism and imperialism and, you know, uh, any type of exploitation. So, you know, I think you, you said it pretty well. So I think, you know, we just need to listen, you know, to each other, talk to each other. And challenge each other in a you know respectful way, and I think you know we'll get there. And I think you know building camaraderie together and, and is is important. Yeah,
0: that's the only thing that we can be expected to do because you know it's not like we can pick up a gun and have a revolution tomorrow. So what we have to do is what, you know, what options are in front of us. And you're right. Building camaraderie, building solidarity and building connections with one another is the best thing that we can be doing during this time, uh, especially during this pandemic where so many people are feeling so incredibly alone. Um, what, what socialism, what communism, what, what, you know, indigenous folks have, have taught us um, through their history and their, their lives today is that we are a community. Um, We should love one another, we should work to build with one another, to help one another, and, and ultimately, you know, help one another so that we can help ourselves. Because if we build a society where truly, you know, not just in law, but truly people are equal, you know, we're given fair and just lives and dignified lives, and nobody is made other, nobody is oppressed, like, that can only be good for all of us. You know, there's no greed there is no selfishness to be had in in that uh you know some might call utopian world that we're trying to create but it's only utopian in the sense that it doesn't exist now um and it'll remain utopian until we take the steps to create it so that's 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 my end words do you have anything to say before we go my friend
1: uh, no, I think we have to be careful when we say utopian because that, that's a different – everybody has a no, own vision I, What that. I'm saying yeah. is
0: that to some folks, this idea of communism is utopian. We are not uh, utopianists, but to some yeah. people, this is some faraway unattainable goal, but it's not, and it can only remain – far away and unattainable so long as we continue to leave it there, leave it on the horizon and not take it off, you know, the shelf, dust it off and go to work because, you know, there are folks who are utopian. That's a great point to make and I'm glad you pointed it out. There are folks who are utopian and that's not we what we aim to be. What we aim to be is, uh, you know, logical in, in what we're calling for, but also understanding that there is a better world to be living in and we ought to create it. Yeah, I agree. Does that do a
1: better job? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, if you don't have anything else to say, my friend, I'd like to thank you for coming on again. Um, would you like to plug your show and everything you have one more time to make sure people know where to find you?
1: Yeah. So Decolonize Buffalo, we're on YouTube and um, Spotify oh. and Apple Podcast. I don't know. Like nine different places. I don't know, but it's, <laughs> it's decolonized Buffalo. We have Twitter, we have Instagram, you know, and, um, at Facebook too. And yeah. So yeah, if somebody wants to come on, to, you know, bring up a topic or, you know, have a conversation, they're more free to welcome to. Um, yeah.
0: Awesome. My friend. And I, I'd, I'd love to have you on again or come on your show, however you want to do it. Um, cause I really enjoyed this talk and I, I really did, learn a lot. So thank you very much for coming on, Rick. Um, yes. You have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you. Don't Don't, yeah, don't hang up yet, please.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to stop recording.